0: Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we're going to look at Proper 29. What in the world is Proper 29, you're thinking? Well, we started a long time ago, about six months ago, with the Day of Pentecost. Now, the Day of Pentecost comes 50 days after Easter, and it's actually a very significant day in the Scriptures. Remember, Jesus rises from the dead on Easter Sunday and he shows himself to the apostles and to others. And 40 days later, we celebrate Ascension Day where he ascends into heaven, where he is seated today at the right hand of the Father. 10 days after that, we celebrate Pentecost. And that has to do with a feast day that was a significant feast day with the in the Old Testament scriptures that God had given the Jewish people, and the Day of Pentecost is celebrated in the Bible on Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, where Peter uh, gets up and preaches a great sermon, and before that, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the 120 gathered. Jesus tells them to gather, wait for the Holy Spirit, the gift that my Father has promised you. In Acts chapter one, He ascends into heaven. They wait. The Holy Spirit comes down. In the second half of the church liturgical season, the first half being Advent to Pentecost, and the second half being Ordinary Time, which are the Sundays after Pentecost, we have about six months of those Sundays. The last is called Proper 29, and on the Sunday lectionary, it's Christ the King Sunday. So if you'll look at the scriptures for this program, You'll see that in the Old Testament, we're going to look in Zechariah, who is a minor prophet. Remember, we've been talking about minor prophets in the last several weeks. In the New Testament readings, you see there's kind of an eclectic group, and they're all really good scriptures. 1 Peter 3 on Sunday, Galatians 6 on Monday, 1 Corinthians 3, a great scripture on Tuesday, a fabulous scripture in Ephesians on Wednesday and Thursday, just fantastic, Uh, Friday, the great chapter Fifteen of Romans, and then finally Philippians two, one through eleven, another very famous chapter. So, a verse a series of verses. So that section right there is just fabulous, and it would take a, a significant amount of time to go over those well with you. So I'll go over those briefly, and we'll race through them fairly quickly. They are all very, very good, and then we will continue with Luke eighteen and nineteen as we journey with Jesus. Okay. So this ends the liturgical year. Proper 29 is the end. It's the last week. Next week, when I'm with you, we will be celebrating Advent 1 in preparation for the coming of the Lord on Christmas Day. So we are at the end, and liturgically we celebrate Christ the King. Sunday. Jesus is King. Jesus is King. All right. Let's go through the scriptures that you have listed there. I hope you enjoy reading them and praying about them and praying over them and I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Zechariah 9, 9 to 16, verse nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Aha, the king. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. This is Jesus' famous entry into Jerusalem from uh, the Jericho. He goes up, Jericho is much lower, Jerusalem is higher. And he goes up to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is the famous Palm Sunday scripture from Zechariah Zechariah 9.9. All right, let's go to Zechariah 10. And Zechariah, again, is dealing with the post-exilic community. What is that? Remember, the Jews had been led into captivity. Uh, The southern um, kingdom is Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Israel had 10 of the uh, sons of the tribe of Israel. There were 12 sons, so 10 were to the north. They were taken over by the Assyrians and led into captivity in 721 BC in the southern kingdom, which had Judah and Benjamin. The southern kingdom, Babylonians 587. Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Great. let them go back after about 50 years, 40, 50 years. And so in the post-exilic, post-exile community, we have Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, and the history books are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so Zechariah is speaking to the people at that time, okay? Um, and so he is commenting on, uh, on them, on what they're doing and how they're doing it, And again, the prophet is speaking the word of the Lord to the community of Israel in which he finds himself. Now, we are reflecting on these scriptures and how they apply to the Old Testament and what happened to them at that time and to us in the New Testament, to them in the New Testament, and to us in the present time. Okay, that's not an easy thing to do, by the way. Chapter 11, 4 to 17, Thus says the Lord, my God, verse 4, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them, for I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. So he's speaking to the leaders. He's speaking to the people of Israel. It's important to look at commentaries or study Bibles at least to get some idea if you wanted more information on what's going on here. And, um, He's talking about the shepherds. He does that a little bit in chapter 10 and then chapter 11 about how to deal with the leadership in Israel and what God is saying in terms of the way they're treating the sheep. Remember the shepherd idea, the shepherd motif in the Old and New Testament is very, very important. Chapter 12, 1 through 10, the burden of the word of the Lord, verse 1 concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth, Genesis 1, 1. And form the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. Again, perfect application to um, the immediacy of the prophet and his response to what's going on in Israel at the time, what's going on uh, with God's people and what God is going to do with them at that time. And so, again, we always try to figure out first. Exegesis is the fancy biblical term, uh, fancy academic term. We try to perform exegesis on the text. That means we try to figure out what is it God is saying to them at that time, and then what is God saying to us today. Keep a reading. Zechariah 13, on that day there shall, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is verse 1, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Now, that's a very, very, um, very predominant theme in the Bible, to be cleansed from sin and uncleanness and to be saved by the Lord. Another famous theme in verse 2, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more, is a whole idea about idol worship and the whole idea about God being worshiped instead of, creating idols uh, in our image and worshiping them. They have no ability to speak. They have no ability to uh, hear. They have no ability to grant any of our requests because they are not real, but the God of Israel is real. You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. So again, we want to hear, the prophet needs to speak the word of the Lord. The prophet needs to say, what the Lord is saying to the people of Israel so they can respond in kind to the prophet's word. Look at uh, chapter 13. Let's see, we went through verse 9. Awake, O sword, verse uh, 7, against my shepherd, against the man who who stands next to me. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That actually is a verse that's quoted in the New Testament about Jesus. Zechariah has these amazing lines about Jesus in them. That's why Zechariah is a very important book for the New Testament. Zechariah 14, 1 through 11, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, verse 1, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and a city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Now, when is that going to happen? As I said about uh, Revelation the last couple of weeks, It's hard to discern. It will happen, or it has happened. A proper understanding of this scripture is not in any way easy. On that day, verse 4, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lie before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the Mount shall move northward and the other southward. He's very prophetic. He's very in in a way apocalyptic. He's talking about judgment uh, and salvation. So the prophet talks about judgment. The prophet talks about salvation. The prophet talks about God saving people and and calling them to repent of their sins. And because they don't, He judges them. Enjoy the book of Zechariah. Let's look at First Peter chapter three, as we move into these this series of seven chapters. Our books uh, in, um, in our New Testament readings, 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 to 22, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being alive in the spirit. Very good scripture, very good scripture. So as you're reading these scriptures, again, if you have a study Bible, you can get some help, but just kind of reading them straight, sometimes they're a little bit difficult, but a lot of times you can glean some of the passages and have a pretty good understanding of what they're about. Galatians 6, 1 through 10, the last chapter of the book of Galatians. Remember in Galatians, Paul had a problem because they were believing a different gospel. And Paul was very upset about that because that other gospel cannot save them. This is the only one that can save you. You do not want to distort this gospel. You do not want to change it. You do not want to misinterpret it. Verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. One of my favorite verses, Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Live by that premise right there and you'll be great, great shape. And then he says in verse 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we would not, do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, verse 10, let us do good to everyone. Wouldn't be great if everybody was doing good to everyone? And especially to those who are the household of faith. Not hard words, not difficult theological words, words to read and put in your mind and your soul and your heart so that you know what God has called you to do and the calling of in which he has called you to live the way he calls us to live you want to follow the word of the lord but you need to know what the word of the lord is in order to follow it first corinthians 3 that's why the daily lectionary readings week to week are so important you want this word to sink into your soul first corinthians 3 10 to 23 according to the grace god given to me verse 10 like a skilled master a builder i laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it let each one be careful how he builds upon it. Let, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is the foundation which we are building. So, what are you building your life on? What, what are you doing in your relationship to Christ? How are you responding to that relationship? How are you responding in obedience to the relationship? Of Christ with Christ. Don't you know, verse 16, that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If any of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or the present or the future. All of yours, all are yours, verse 23, and you are Christ and Christ is God. So those of you that know Christ are in Christ, have a relationship with Christ, are saved in Christ. You are Christ and you are God's. That is an extraordinarily good, great piece of information. And you dwell in in that. You dwell in that knowledge. You dwell in that sphere, if you will, in reality that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are in God because you are in Christ. And that is what gives your life uh, definition, meaning, solidity, purpose, value. In Ephesians chapter 1, which I referred to earlier is a series of scriptures that are truly phenomenal. And I'm not even going to try to get started on them because they were so fantastic, but literally 3 to 14 and 15 to 23 are just all great. Read it slow. It is a fantastic delight. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly as you read these fantastic verses in the opening chapter of Ephesians. Let's go to Romans 15. Turn to your left to a Romans 15. Romans has 16 chapters, so we're almost finished with that book and looking at 15, 7 to 13, 7 to 13, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, verse 7, for the glory of God. Isn't that nice? Verse 13, that's verse 7, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What a wonderful, wonderful prayer for all of us. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that none of us has a problem in believing and that in believing you may have joy and peace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may also have a tremendous amount of hope. Now, you can't buy that. You can't go out and get that. That is given by the grace of God. Hope, peace, and joy. World can't give you that can't give you peace, can't give you joy, can't give you hope. Only God can give you that. What a great threesome. And finally for this section, the great, very famous Philippians 2, when we look at the death of Jesus and what he did for us, 2, 1 through 11. And um, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, verse 1, any comfort in his love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What a great way again to live and to function in the body of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves. Verse five, which is in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then God highly exalted him Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every t- knee shall bow and every, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone's going to bow before Jesus. Everybody's going to confess him as Lord. You want to confess him as Lord and bow before him in this lifetime. Do it in this lifetime before you pass to the next one, to the glory of God the Father. So 1 Peter 3 to Philippians 2 are just fabulous. The scriptures in Zechariah are a little bit more difficult, and you just kind of have to look for scriptures that God uh, will speak to you and give you some uh, information. Some of them may be uh, referenced to Jesus Christ in the gospel readings. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 18 and chapter 19 as we continue our journey with Jesus. Chapter 18, starting in 15 we have the letting the little children come to me let the little children come to me do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall never enter it oh that's pretty strong receive the kingdom like a child folks and then he talks about the rich ruler and starting in verse 18 the only thing he said one thing you lack is he was keeping all the commandments Verse 22, sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Give everything you have away, sell it all, come follow me. But he became very sad because he was extremely rich. How difficult it is for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? That's a good question. Who can be saved? If this person can't be saved, and he's keeping the commandments, and he's doing all the right things, how can he be saved? And the, I love this answer. R- remember this answer. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Chapter 18, 31 to 43. Jesus foretells his death a third time. Remember he says, "I'm going. we're going up to Jerusalem. Remember up, we're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is higher. Everything written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He's going to be delivered over the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be shamefully treated. He's going to be spit upon. And they're going to flog him, and they're going to kill him. But on the third day, he's going to rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. Fascinating. He heals a blind beggar by the roadside as they went to Jericho. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus encounters him. Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he was well. So again, this man is demonstrating in so many profound and different ways who he is, what he's about. And what he's about is this God-man incarnation and pre-existent God and he is sharing his self with us himself with us okay jesus and zacchaeus in chapter 19 zacchaeus meets jesus and is he's changed he's changed quite radically and please enjoy that particular scripture and that's what is supposed to happen when people encounter Christ, they change, they're transformed, they do different things, they repent of the things they've done, they're sorry for what they've done, and they have a new perspective on the way they live. In the parable of the ten miners, minors, minas, much like uh, Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents very much similar to the parable of the parable of the talents verse 26 i tell you that everyone who has more will be given again a great opportunity for teaching by jesus but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away so you and i are stewards the gifts and talents we have are from god use your talents and gifts from god wisely they are not your own to be used for your edification and glory they are to be used for the glory of god and at the end of your life and mine, you and i will give and every person will give an account before god as stewards of what the owner has and what the owner owns we are just looking over his property and making his property shine by the gifts and talents that he's given us and the grace he's given us to make it shine always put christ first Chapter 19, verse 28. Remember, I told you he was Jericho going up to Jerusalem. He finally gets there, Palm Sunday. Finally gets there. And they praise him and glorify him and, um, and glorify the Lord. Uh, and he later, though, weeps over Jerusalem. He knows that the future is not going to be good. He knows he's going to die in Jerusalem. Remember, he predicted it three times. He tells him he's going to die, he tells him the Gentiles are going to kill him, the Romans. And so he cleanses the temple and he comes in there. And what's going to happen over the next several chapters, he's going to, he's now in Jerusalem. He's never going to leave Jerusalem alive. They're going to kill him, as you know. And then the next several chapters in Luke, as we see also in Mark and Matthew, are when he's there and he's sharing the gospel with them. They don't like what he's saying, as we see at the end of chapter 19. He cleanses the temple. He sees things he does not like that they are doing, and he responds very angrily, but still without sin, and then makes a point to tell them and to share with them what the truth is. Well, we have a lot of great reading for proper 29 week. Enjoy your reading, I hope you savor it and enjoy it, and the Lord will speak to you in a great way. Next week, we start a whole new liturgical season and a whole new year for daily lectionary the beginning of year one and Advent one. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. God bless you.